You're listening to Freedom Christian Fellowship's podcast. 5 verses 20 through 25, we, we read what's called, what we commonly call as the fruit of the Spirit, the, the, the dialogue about the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, but there's a couple of interesting things here because what Paul is really talking about, and this is what I'm going to uh, title the next uh, few talks that we have uh, on Sunday, um, just called Growing. Growing, because this is, the, this is the general emphasis, the ump behind what Paul is saying, what the Holy Spirit is having Paul say here. He said, listen, if you desire to grow, there's things you're going to have to give up, right? And so, like, we're, we're all probably pretty under, you know, commonly understood that, look, when we come into this faith, that there's things we had to give up. Maybe there was a way of thinking, something we did, a habit that we had to give up. But that's not the entirety of our character within our journey with God. God isn't just like give up, give up, give up, give up, give up. As a matter of fact, it's, it's quite the opposite. God, when He asks us to give something up, he, he actually empowers us to do it, but He fills us with something. And so in Galatians 5, in this passage we're about to read, what we see is this, is, is God saying, listen, I don't want you just to give things up because if you go back in context and you read Galatians 5 in the, in the passages just before the ones we're about to read, what you see is a list of things that you can't do anymore. And they're not great things or horrible things. But God doesn't stop there. He says, look, instead, let me fill you with these other things, with the fruit of what it means to walk according to the Spirit. But to do it, you've got to make a choice to grow. You've got to make a choice to grow. Because every one of the, what we call the fruit of the Spirit, is something that doesn't come natural to us, but instead, we actually need to do what the Scripture says and go to the Holy Spirit to teach us how to do it. (laughs) So today we're going to talk about love. I'm going to read this passage in Galatians 5 to you. And if you don't have your Bible, you can use your phone, you can paper Bible or look on the screen. It says this. In verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Okay. Now, there's a couple of things really quick I want to pull out of that, because today all we're going to talk about is love. But I don't want you to think about the fruit of the Spirit as many different fruits, but as one. And here's why. And there's been a lot of, if you've ever read a commentary about this or read maybe in your Bible, there's notes that maybe you've heard of this, is that there's a difference in the language here between singular and plural and blah, blah, blah. The fruit of the Spirit is it love, is the fruit of the Spirit love, and everything's an offshoot of love. And here's what I want to tell you, suggest to you, is that no, they're just one whole thing. And why? Because they reflect who God is. See, you can't separate any of these attributes from God. And so when we pray to be in step with the Spirit, and when we pray and we invite the Holy Spirit to keep us in step with the character of God and to form the character of God in us, yes, there are areas that maybe we're a little bit better at and and some areas we're deficient at, but God is not just going to dispense one of these things. He's going to dispense all of these things. 
I've heard people say, I don't pray for patience anymore because I don't want to go through that. Oh, no, no, no. Listen, if, if, if you're going to pray for patience, God's going to dispense. He's going to dispense grace. He's going to dispense love. He's going to dispense understanding. He's going to dispense all that. He's not going to leave you shortcoming like he's torturing you, like some just cruel, cruel school teacher. No. As a matter of fact, how do we know that? Because it says when we, when we break this down, not to, not to just overanalyze it, but when we really think about it, why is this important? Because Paul actually is having a conversation in, in comparison to something else. And it's this. He's comparing the work of the Spirit with the law. And see, he makes this point in other parts of Galatians. He says this, that the law isn't beneficial. The law only was a school teacher. The, all, the law only brought us to a certain point, but it can't bring us into the freedom. It pointed out our sin, but it can't bring us into life. And the problem with the law became this, is that man took the law and they began to live by the letter, but it never transformed anything in their heart, in their mind. They didn't live unto the character of God. And they didn't live in obedience to the Holy Spirit. And so this is what Paul is saying, is that God is not cruel. You're thinking about Him in the context of what's old, but you need to think about Him in the context of who He really is. Because when you pray for any one of these fruit of the Spirit, you're going to get all of them. Why? Because you need all of them. You need all of them. And so we have to understand all of them and how God forms these in our life. And we have to talk about them and pray, Holy Spirit, help us to build these in us. Help us as we agree with you to allow this work to take place in our life. So let's talk a little bit about love. All right. I want to talk about the origin of love really quick. And this isn't exhaustive, but it's just a general snapshot. Here's what we know from the Bible that God is love. God is love. But often what happens in our understanding of love is that we confuse two important statements. Oftentimes we make this statement. We say, God's love. God, God loves. God loves. God loves. God loves me. God loves me this. God loves me when I'm a sinner. God loves me when I'm doing good. God loves. God loves. God loves. But I want to tell you that that's an inaccurate statement. The proper biblical statement is this, and it's important for us to understand the origin of love, is this, is that God is love. God is love. Well, pastor, that sounds just really like you're splitting hairs. No, I'm not. Let me explain. Because when we say this statement, when we make this statement, we begin to believe this, God loves, then that is based upon our understanding or our perception. See, people all over stand up and they give a definition to say, this is how God loves. God loves me when I do this. God loves this side. God loves this side. God loves this. And that's all perception-based. See, when we say God loves, what's happening is that we can take it and conform it into our image. But when we say God is love, then we must go back to His image and say this is who He is. This is who He is. See, my kids can look at me and say, Dad loves Dad loves. Dad loves me when I goof up. Dad loves me when I break the rules. Dad loves me, and I do. 
But if their definition of my love is contingent upon how they feel or how they, uh, their perspective on my love, then it's going to be limited whenever I have to discipline them for breaking the rules. They're going to see that as an offense. They're going to look at me and say, Dad doesn't love me because he did this to me. But if they say dad is love, and in dad's love, he has to guide me. He has to discipline me at times because he cares for me. He's going to bless me because he is love. Then it begins to change their perception of love into the image of me. Now take that and apply that to God. See, because our image of love is not created by our own understanding or our own perspective. The, the definition of love is purely, utterly defined by God alone. And we have to come to that. Why? Because that means that He can do what He desires in our life. And when He asks us to do the hard things, He knows that it's hard, but He will bring us through. When He asks us to trust like he did with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and David and Joshua and everybody. And he says, I know that you're going to have difficulty seeing what I'm doing, but believe that I am love and I will lead you. Then you'll go. But if love is defined by your own perception, when things get tough, you'll stop. When love is defined by your own perception, we will not grow. But if we allow God to define love, it means this, that He can put in us what is necessary for us to grow. Love has to be defined by who God is. We have to go to the Word and we have to see who God is and understand that He is perfect love. That has to be our base. How does God's love translate on how we love? Let's talk about that. If God is love, then how does it work out in us? How does it translate to us so that we can love the way God loves? There's three simple things I believe. The first is this. It's in order for us to love the way God loves, it has to transform us. We have to have an encounter with the love of God. That's what we talked about a few minutes ago in, in that scripture that I read where Jesus says, come to me, all you are, who are burdened and heavy laden, take my yoke upon me. I'll give you rest. We have to have an encounter with the love of God that, that, that not just saves us, but sets us free, that redeems us into the truth, that pulls us into his identity, that we fully understand who, what it means to be loved by a pure father. And that's challenging, isn't it, today? Why is that challenging? It's challenging because a lot of our perceptions of how we come to the love of God are filtered through some of our natural relationships, aren't they? But I want to just say something in great grace to every person here that's ever struggled with that distance. The first thing I want to say to you is you're not alone. But I want to say that you can trust Father God. Romans 8 says something so beautiful and so powerful about the love that God has for us, that has the ability to transform us. It says this, that He gives us the right to cry out to Him and call Him this very special word, Abba. Abba, Daddy. 
One of the things I love about being daddy to my kids is this, is that I watched them when they were little. I, 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 we, and, and by God's grace, they turned out so much better than me. My kids are smart. And Kim and I look at each other and say, we believe in you, God. As a joke, y'all, y'all can laugh a little bit, right? Why? Because we're like, I did not do good right in school. That wasn't my thing. And I love watching the identity that we created in our family be formed in them. And as they, they grow and they make this, these things. And, and this is what God wants for you. When we talk about the transforming love of God and, and how that translates to us is that we have to have that encounter with the true, pure love of God that begins to set identity inside of us. The second thing that happens is this, is that we have to allow the love of God to shift our perception. To really grow in this understanding of love, we can't keep it to ourselves, but it has to affect the way we see people. That we can't look at people under normal circumstances. We can't look at people just in our natural, if we could use that word, right? And you guys, and I want to explain this, in our natural, sometimes it's what I like to call our grumpy self, Right? You see somebody in line, they're taking too long. They got 16 items in a 15-item lane. And you're like, oh, you, don't, you, you skipped grade school because you don't know how to count. <laughs> you're trying to slide one off and be like, no, you only get 15. Which one do you want to get rid of? <laughs> you're getting angry. You're seeing people through your, your natural grumpy lens. And so you deal with this difference, right? And so when we talk about... The fruit of the Spirit, and where Paul talks about keeping step with the Spirit and let the fruit of love grow in you. We have to look at it and say, God, how does your love translate? And it has to shape our perception. And it is challenging, and it is tough, but it is meant to be. Hear me. Is that anything you have to grow in, you're going to be stretched in. And so we have to say, Holy Spirit, shift my perception so that I begin to see people through the lens of your love first. Shift my perception so that I see people the way you see people. Why? Because the Scripture is really clear concerning this idea is that we can't say that we love God. First John talks about it in several different places. We can't say that the love of God is settled in our hearts and have the perception when we hate our brothers and sisters. As a matter of fact, John uses this, this first John uses this really scary language. He says, look, you, if you believe that way, you're a liar and the truth isn't in you. Oh, that's not us. So we have to pray, right? Because we don't come imperfect to this game of love. What happens is we have to pray and say, Holy Spirit, shift my perceptions. And the third way is this, is it has to challenge our responses. And what this means is this. This is the extent that we are willing to go to love somebody. This is the extent that we're willing to go to love somebody. See, because we can have an experience where the love of God transforms us and, and our perceptions can begin to be filtered through the love of God. But love is an action. Love is tangibly shown. And this is important for us to understand. You cannot love in words alone. Everybody okay? Scripture is clear about this. Is that you have to show love. You have to show love. And so it challenges our responses. 
It challenges the way we respond and how far we are willing to go to love. This is so difficult. This is difficult and we must lean upon the Holy Spirit when it comes to forming love inside of us. But love must be tangible in order for it to be truly the love of God seen in us. And there will be times that you are stretched to love somebody, to show love to somebody, whether it's through something you do or something you don't do. (laughs) It may be just by keeping your mouth shut that you show the greatest amount of love. All right. I want to wrap this message up with seven areas that we need to be excellent lovers. Seven areas of our life where we need to be excellent lovers. You guys all right? Great. All right, and if one of these pops out to you, just make a note and say, God, help me with this, form this in me, show this, show me in your word how you want to do this. The first is this, communication. We need to be an excellent lover in our communication. Ephesians 4.29 says this, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for the building, for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. We can apply this to every sphere, every area of communication. Not just what we speak, but the things that we type, the things that we put on social media, the things that we, uh, our opinions, the things that we give down. And the, and the scripture is very clear here. And there's three important things. The first is that in our communication, for love to be seen, that there can't be anything unwholesome. And you don't need to go to the Greek to figure these words out. Unwholesome is unwholesome. It's not pure. It's not lovely. It's not good. It's not building up. And so we have to think and allow there to be a time where we pause. Have you ever read the Psalms? There's a word that floats around the entire book of Psalms, and it's called Selah. And you know what Selah is? Stop. Ponder. Think. Meditate. Listen. Be quiet. Let God speak to you. And in order for, the area, for us to be excellent lovers in our communication, there has got to be times that we stop and we allow God to give an inventory to the way that we're talking. If there's anything that's unwholesome in our conversation, maybe, and I'm, I'm, I'm so blessed, I love our Wednesday night group that comes in, a group of men that we meet at Boss Burger. Um, now that's a great small group, isn't it? You get together with a group of men and you are like straight up eating hamburgers and talking about God. If you're a guy and you want to be a part of that, join us at 7 o'clock at Boss Burger. It's a, it's a blast. Ish, right? So... Here's the thing, we come in and we joke with one another. We joke and we joke, but there is a line that we don't cross because with guys, we can get into a place where we start ribbing one another and and joking and jesting, but there has to be a line. There has to be a line. And in our conversations, there has to be a line that we allow the Holy Spirit to, to draw. Why? Because our communication is very important. God designed it for this purpose. For it to be helpful. Our communication has to be helpful. And think about it. When we allow the Holy Spirit to take inventory of the way we speak, and we begin to see God, 
what's coming out of my mouth? Is it helpful? Is it for the building up of others? Is it lifting others up? Is it benefiting somebody else? Is my communication doing that? Am I stopping enough of my conversation to listen? In my conversation, am I just trying to be heard rather than hearing people? And when we begin to allow the Holy Spirit to inspect it, what happens is that He begins to infuse it with His love. And our conversation becomes what Ephesians 4.29 is talking about. One that is constantly edifying and helpful and building up and benefiting the people that we're communicating with. The second area that goes hand in hand with our communication where we need to be excellent lovers is this, in our reactions. Our reactions. This is especially important. That is more so important today than it was obviously 20, 30, 40 years ago because everything is right instant, instantaneously. We are an instant culture. And so we get news and then we comment on it. We sound off on it. We react to it. I love, I love, it's a guilty pleasure of mine sometimes. Don't judge me, please. But on a particular, a particular edgy article, I'll scroll down to see if there's a comment section. Because sometimes comments are the funniest things, right? People say some funny, funny things. But I realized something in my life is that I have to allow the Holy Spirit to infuse my reactions with love. Now listen to this scripture in Proverbs. I love this. Proverbs 12, 16. It says this. Fools show their annoyance at once, but the prudent overlook an insult. (laughs) What does that mean? Y'all laugh a little bit, please. This is what this means, is that when we are reactionary-based people, and there's not a filter of love between our reaction and what comes out of our mouth or what we do or how we respond, we are exactly what the fool is like in Proverbs. We show our annoyance all at once. How hairy is your trigger? How else can I say this to us? And we have to stop and we have to think and we have to consider this, seriously consider this and say, God, if you're putting the the fruit of love in us, then it has to be measured in our reactions. When we see a political view that we don't agree with, how hairy is our trigger? How much do we consider that the kingdom of God is inside of us and what comes out of us is not just a reflection of our opinion, but it's a reflection of who God is? And we just let it go. We let it fly. When somebody offends us, do we just go, ah, i got to attack you back? This is what Proverbs talks about here. But it says this, the prudent overlooks an insult. And see, here's the, the tricky thing about our reactions. They're hard. And why are reactions so volatile in our life? And why does God have to challenge them with love? It's because often, often, They're unprovoked. A reaction is something that's unprovoked. You're not expecting it. You're not prepared for the debate. You're not prepared to arm yourself. But it's something that hits you. It's unprovoked. And it challenges us in the most raw sense of who we are. You ever heard the old saying that you squeeze a lemon, you get lemonade. You want to know what's inside of somebody, you squeeze them. That's how a reaction works in our life. There's a lot of times a reaction is something that is unprovoked. 
Another reason why our reactions are so volatile in our life and we have to allow the Holy Spirit to work on this is because they're unhealthily connected to our opinions. You're entitled to an opinion. Your opinion is yours. But if you're a child of God, your opinion has to be filtered through who God is. Your opinion has to be filtered through the love of God. Your opinion has to be filtered through the love of God. And listen, let me, let me take this just a step further because this is our society today. It's not who you are, but this is our society today in case you get wrapped up in it at any place in time. Is that by expressing your opinion and being edgy and being crude and being mean about it, but tucking in somewhere, you're doing this in love, it's not love. Expressing your opinion in a way that's hurtful or expresses your desire that you're going to win or you're going to be smarter, but you try to tuck it under something like, they need to hear this, or this is what love is, and sometimes love hurts. This is the truth in love. We misuse that scripture. It is not love. That there are cultures that exist that allow there to be dissenting debate. I want to share this with you, and I want you to hear me. I want you to really hear me on this. Is that within the Jewish culture, that when rabbis would go to sit down and they would debate the Scripture, they would talk about the Scripture, and they would just wrestle over it, is that they made room for dissent. Dissent to you and I is an ugly word. It's unsubmission. But not to them, and here's why not. Because they never let their conversation get past this one statement. And here's the statement. Is that they would always concede for the glory of God. But if somebody was giving an opinion to make themselves look smarter or to sound better or to just make an opinion that was reactionary, it was put down because it wasn't for the glory of God. And as a culture, we have to understand that our reactions have to be infused with the love of God, that we don't have to agree on everything. Loving somebody in your reactions doesn't mean you agree, but you do have to be tempered in love. Why? Because you're a reflection of God. You're a reflection of God. Sometimes our reactions, we have to be what Proverbs 12, 16 says. We have to overlook it. We have to be like Elsa on Frozen. Let it go, let it go. It don't matter no more, right? If you struggle in this area, here's your prayer. Let me just, let's keep the ball rolling. If you struggle in this area, here's what you need to pray. You need to fall on your knees and say, God, help me to grow up. Help me to grow up. Help me not to take myself so seriously. All right. Let it go, let it go. All right, let's keep going. All right. The third area we need to be excellent lovers is with our spouses. With our spouses, okay? Now I want to go to a, a familiar passage where it talks about marriage in Ephesians 5, but I don't want to go into the meat of it. I want to focus on the verse 21. 
which starts the conversation about how wives are supposed to submit to their husbands and how husbands are supposed to love their wives and all that tensiony stuff that we we're afraid to talk about now and because we don't like some of those words but here's what Ephesians 5:21 says that kicks it all off and I want you to really hear this it says submit to one another out of reverence for Christ submit to one another out of reverence for Christ see here's the key and this is what this means it means to put yourself in a lower position To be an excellent lover in your marriage, what you have to do is that you have to consider, consider, consider the other person above yourself. This is what it means. The definition of marriage is simple. Put your your spouse's needs before your own. If you want to have love in your marriage and you want the love of God to infuse your marriage, put your spouse's needs before your own. It's amazing because God chose to use this particular covenant of marriage to mirror the love that Jesus has for the bride, His church. And this is what Ephesians 5 is all about. It's this picture of covenant that has a tandem, a tandem agreement with the picture of marriage on, this, on our earth. And so we have to take this very seriously. But the same way that Jesus loved the church is how we should love one another. We should lay ourselves down. So how do we tangibly show love in our marriage? Is that we have to set time aside for communication. That we have to ask the Holy Spirit to watch our communication. You need to talk kind to your spouse. Talk kind. Talk sweet. Encourage them. Lift them up. Make time to talk. Every day should have something set aside because it's never more true than in the idea of marriage where love has to be tangible than than it is concerning our spouses. See, we can't just say I love you and not back it up with something. Is that we have to show this love. And one of the ways we can do that is in the area of communication by how we speak to our spouse and making time to talk. We need to give another way we show love in our, in our marriage to our spouse and we become excellent lovers is this, is, is in our time. That we give our spouses the best of our time, not the leftovers. If you want to transform your marriage, if you want to boost your marriage, the love in your marriage, you need to give your spouse the best of your time, not the leftovers. It takes effort. It takes discipline. It will probably mean that you're cutting something else out. But this is so important to God's heart. This this picture of, of, of covenant that's shown through marriage. How dear it is to God's heart. You need to give the best of your time, not the leftovers. In your actions, do what your spouse likes. My wife and I have a trade off on movies. I like funny comedies. She likes romantic movies. Matter of fact, the holiday season's coming up. And I'm trying. I'm, I'm calling the cable company trying to figure out how to get Hallmark off our, our stuff. Like, I do not want Hallmark anywhere close. Ladies, l- l- let me vent for a minute, please. Can I vent? Do I have time to vent? 
No, no. <laughs> my kids said no. Uh, you're next. All right. Um, how, many, how many times can you hear the same story a different way? In, in a Hallmark movie, for real? All right. Just, no, I'm just kidding. All right. You guys are like, boom, we hate you, Pastor. <laughs> I'm just joking. You got to do what your spouse likes. Man, if your wife goes with you hunting, you better go with her shopping. Or what she likes to do. If she likes hunting, then good on you, man. You, you won, right? <laughs> Laugh a little bit, guys. All right. Do what your spouse likes. If you don't know what your spouse likes, then in your time, let that be part of your conversation. See, move backwards up the list. Take the time to have the proper communication to find out what they like and do what they like. Do what they like. It shows love. The last thing I want to say about this idea of how to be excellent in our love toward our spouse is this. In the times when you're not together. And I want you to, again, I know I've said this statement a few times, but I want you to really listen at this, please. Be honest. Be loyal. Be filled with integrity. In your marriage, the greatest way, and men, let me speak to you for a second, okay? Permit me this in love as a brother. That men, women respond to this. Most women don't want the world. What they want is somebody who is going to be loyal and honest. They're going to do what they say. And they're going to have integrity. But you know what's amazing? Is that this is what God can do for us too. What he will build in us. Be somebody who can be trusted, even when you're not with your spouse. All right, the next one. We need to be in the next area. We only have a few more. But we need to be excellent lovers is with our children. With our children. I just, I just mad-dogged my kids on the front row. All right. <clears throat> I know how many are here today, though. Ephesians 6.4 says this. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. And there's just one important truth that, uh, that this scripture pulls out that I want to I dissect for a second on how we love our children. Because it uses this word exasperation. All right, exasperate. And here's what this means is this word means this is when we neglect to nurture the soul of our children. Exasperation is not teasing and, and, and joking with your kids. I dropped off my uh, daughter at high school the other day. And I'm going to be honest with you, I have another guilty pleasure. You can judge me if you want. Sometimes I listen to 92.5, the oldies, you know. And there was just happened to be a great Journey song on. And, you know, Journey just brings me closer to Jesus. And I was just praising the Lord. And so my daughter Anna is getting out. I'm dropping her off. And there's tons of kids in the parking lot. And it's up pretty high. And she turns it down, like, just subtly. Like, I'm not going to notice that she's interrupting my worship time with the Lord. And... and she, she gets out of the car. And so I said, no, no, ma'am. <laughs> Boom. Rolled down the window. Just drove by. She's like, daddy. Ah! <laughs> That's not exasperation, all right? <laughs> exasperation is when you fail to nurture, nurture the soul of your children. And that is why that when we finish the rest of Ephesians 6.4, it says this, to bring them up in training and instruction. 
Because here's what this means. And parents, again, hear this in grace. Is that this, this word, these words have, have a multi-layered meaning. And one of them is discipline. And you're not disciplining them. And I'm not talking about a particular method of discipline. I'm not talking about spanking or timeouts or whatever we do nowadays. I'm not talking about that. But it's the discipline to say, stay within these lines. And if I can explain it like this, I've said it before, but this is the model for parenting. Now please, biblical parenting, and I want you to to, to see this, is that the, the model is not this, when kids are little, let them do whatever they want. Because when you do that, what you're failing to do is nurture their soul and you're exasperating them. And they will come to a point in time in their life when they are making decisions and having to be accountable for things, and you're trying to tighten that up because they're out of control. So here's what you do, is that you start like this, and as they get older, and they hit about 10, 11, 12, it begins to widen out, 16, 17, 18, and when they take off for college, when they take off and become adults, you're not worried about it. Why? Because you built them up in the truth. You did what Ephesians 6, 4 says, is that through training and instruction, you nurtured their soul. But this doesn't just mean this area of discipline. Now parents, before, if any of you are upset with what I just said, relax. Because this is what I'm saying. I'm not telling you how to do that. What I'm telling you is what God's Word says. But this idea of training and instruction also has another very powerful emotional term in it. And it's encouraging. And it says to encourage the, the, the depth, and if I could use this word tied into this idea, the prophetic depth of your child. You have the responsibility, parents, to see why God gave you the gift of your child. Why God gave you the gift of your child. You might have biologically created that child, But God chose that child to be. And when God chooses something to be, He chooses it to be with purpose. And parents, you have to see that purpose and you have to encourage the the mess out of that gift. This is what it means. This is what it means to love your children. Encourage. Encourage them to dream. Encourage them to be stretched in areas. Encourage them to explore. Encourage them to trust. Encourage them to love. All right, let's finish this up. The next area is this. People who aren't easy to love. This is where the rubber starts to really meet the road. Because this is something that God asks of us that does more in us than what we think we're doing for the person that's not easy to love. We have to be excellent lovers of the difficult. Luke 6, 27-32 says this. This is Jesus talking. He says, But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on the cheek, knock them out. Turn the other one also. There you go. Paying attention. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, don't demand it back. What? 
Do to others as you would have them do. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. Oh, Jesus. We don't want that in the Bible. Because it messes with us. And it stretches us. And it's not easy. And you go, Jesus, if you were on the earth and he was, this person was on the earth, you wouldn't have put that in the Bible. It just would not have been there. Because you just, you just don't know this guy. See, you need to come visit, check him out, talk to him. You know, or just get on Facebook and like message him because he's nuts, crazy, awful, terrible. No, don't. Jesus didn't do that. He knew. And there's seven things that Jesus asks us to do for the people that are hard to love. First is we have to do good. Oh. Proverbs says that when we do good to somebody who is uh, accusing us, that is coming against us, that it's like heaping burning coals upon their head. And then we go, yes, we want to burn them down. Burn them down for Jesus. I'm going to be so good to you. No, that's not what the scripture is saying. <laughs> that's not what the Bible is saying at all. The Bible is actually saying that's a, that's a healing. That's a healing. That's how healing takes place. We have to do good. We have to bless. We have to bless. Bless is a different, is a different thing than doing good. Bless is taking the, the fruit of God's blessing and blessing them with that. And I'm not talking about Southern, God bless their heart. <laughs> I ain't talking about that. Don't, don't do that. You, you all know that ain't right, right? You guys know what you're saying. I need permission to gossip about something, so God bless their heart, right? That's not, that's not what God is saying. God's saying, listen, put the blessing that has been put on your life on them. Pray for them. Pray for them. Pray for them. Praying for people who are unkind to you and are not easy to love, who you might perceive as your enemies. It may seem like an impossible thing, but it's a good starting block. It's a very good starting block. To set some time aside and to pray for them. Turn the other cheek. To go back to the scripture that we read in Proverbs a few minutes ago about our reactions. To not respond. To not jump on that bandwagon. To not get, get mad. Get angry. But to turn the other cheek. Do not withhold blessing. Give. Give. Give what is needed. Give. Do not demand back when something is taken. Wow. Jesus here drops a very massive truth bomb on us. And it's not easy. And this is why I believe that there's seven different aspects in this particular passage that we read on how we treat and we love those who are not easy to love. Why? Pick one and start at one. You're not going to do all seven of these all at once. Why? Because they're not easy to do. And so you're going to go and you're going to say, God, how do I pray for the person who I just really can't stand, who is harmful to me? You're going to say, Holy Spirit, help me to pray. Help me to bless them. Help me to not get so reactionary in my responses to them when I know that maybe they're just trying to thumb it to me. They're trying to stick it to me. But God, help me. Help me. Help me. Why is this important? Why is this idea important? And why would God even ask us to do this? Is He cruel? Is God cruel in this? Is He saying, ah, you know what? you got to fix everybody's problems? No. Not at all. God is not doing this so that you begin to fix even the person who is your enemy. Matter of fact, the Scripture doesn't say anything about that here. It's talking all about you. Your reactions. Why? Because it is the test, the litmus test of the love of God within us. How do we know that? 
Why is that not just a ridiculous statement? You can come on, Justin. It's because the Scripture tells us this. While we were yet sinners, Christ loved us and died for us. See, here's why we have to consider this and really consider this and ask the Holy Spirit for help because we can't do this by ourselves. It's because this is the reflection of the love, one of the ways that the love of Jesus is reflected in us, the way that Jesus loved us when He went to the cross. It's powerful. It's powerful. It does something transformational within us and it does something transformational to the people around us. The final thing is this, where we need to be excellent lovers, are to the people who are far from Jesus. The people who are far from Jesus. Jesus dedicated it in, well, it broke down this way in the Bible, but there's a whole chapter in Mark that's dedicated to the parables of Different lost things. Prodigal son, the coin, the sheep. There's several things within this. Most of our our Bibles, it has it as one chapter within Mark. In this chapter. And all that can be summed up in this. That God has this insane compassion, this, this deep love for things that are lost. I could say it this way, that the commodity of heaven is people, but specifically the people that are still far from God. Yes, God loves you and I very much, and we know that, and we should know that, and we should abide in that. That's the first thing we talked about, that transformational love. But God desperately loves those who are far from Him. He cries out for Him. He, he, he's desperate for them. In Mark 16, 15, this is what Jesus said. He said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. That's normally something that we would say as a battle charge to say, Come on, let's go preach the gospel to everybody. But I want to instead just kind of let this settle in our hearts as a, this, a profound statement of love. See, because here Jesus is saying this. Go into the lost places. Go into the places where the lost are. Not the lost as in a description for people who don't come to church or don't know Jesus, but people who are far from the Creator's heart. Who the Creator loves. And it's as if Jesus is asking us and saying, Andy, will you go to the places where my heart is? Because there's an area over here in Port Natchez or in Groves, or in Beaumont, or in Nederland, where my heart is broken, and and there's a person who is hurt and harmed by something that happened that's far from understanding my love. Will you go? Because the second part of this is to preach the Gospel. And if you understand what the Gospel is, it's not just a simple formula to bring somebody into a confession of Jesus Christ. The Gospel is literally translated, the good news. It's the hope of heaven. It's the love of the Father. And Jesus says this, that if my love has filled you, then it has to go out of you. And there is a part of your life that has to be set aside. And I'm not mincing words here. I'm being very direct. There is a part of your life that needs to be set aside that we pray, God, send me to the 
least and to the lost and to the broken. If we want love to abide in us, if we want to keep in step with the Spirit, then we have to make that our prayer. That we carry the message of love, the Gospel. That we live the Gospel out. One of my favorite stories about Smith Wigglesworth, I know I've shared this before, but as he aged, he used to pray every day, God, I'm going to spend time with you, and I am going to sit in your presence until you tell me where to go. To talk to somebody about your gospel and about your truth and about your love. And the Holy Spirit would tell him, Old man Smith Wigglesworth, go sit on a park bench. And he would go out to that park bench and he would not move. He would not move until somebody came up next to him and sat down on that bench beside him. And he would look at him, Smith Wigglesworth would look at him and say, I know why you're here today. Because you don't know Jesus, but he knows you. You don't know his love, but he wants to love you. And inevitably, Smith would lead somebody to Jesus that day. But here's the point, is that he set aside part of his day and said, God, maybe I can't go and preach anymore. Maybe that's not my thing, but I'm not going to stop being effective for you. I'm going to pray and let you send me to the least, to the, to the broken, to the destitute, to the one that you're looking for. And I'll go sit on a park bench. I'll go sit on a bench in a mall. I'll go walk around a school. I'll go do whatever you ask me to do because I know that's what you love. And if your love is in me, then it must come out of me. Love has to be tangible. Amen. 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 Oh. Let's pray. I'm going to invite you to bow your heads. Close your eyes. For the Lord. <laughs> God, we love you so much. I want to pray for a couple of things, okay? Really quick. With every head bowed and every eye closed. If anybody here feels far from God, now listen to me. This, I want to be very clear. This isn't a salvation call. But what I'm telling you is that you're heartbroken, you're heavy laden, you, you, you feel far from the love of God. I want you just to slip up your hand right where you are. If any of you say, God, right where I am, I want to grow in the understanding of your love. Maybe it's in one of those areas that we talked about, those seven areas we talked about in my communication, in my reaction, with my spouse, with my children, with those who are hard to love, for the lost, if that's you. Just slip up your hand and put it down. Thank you. All right, go ahead, drop them. Father, I just thank you. Lord, the Holy Spirit, it's only your love that begins to form and shape inside of us that we can begin to love. God, I pray right now for the impact of having an encounter with your love. God, that... In every one of our hearts that we would, we would feel the, the, 
the, the understanding, know the understanding, the, the, the presence of your amazing love that sets us free, that marks us as a son or a daughter. Lord, I pray, Father God, for every person here, Lord, that as they heard the word this morning and they said, that's, that's me, that's, that's an area I need to work in, whether it's the communication reaction, our spouse, our children, the unlovely, Lord God, or especially those who are difficult to love. God, the, the lost. Father, I pray right now, Holy Spirit, that you would begin to speak to our hearts. That you would begin to show us, God, how we can grow, Lord, what we need to do to take the time, Father God, to, to yield our hearts. And Lord, we just pray right now, if there's anything that we need to let go of, any bit of unforgiveness or bitterness, God, anything that we've held on that stood in the way of love, God, we just let that go in the name of Jesus. We just put that at Your feet, Jesus, and we say we're sorry. We didn't mean to pick that up, but we did. And it's impeded the way that we've loved, and we're sorry. But today, we're making a statement to say we're going to let Your love flow freely through us. And the areas of our hearts that you need to transform, that you need to change, that you need to modify, that you need to grow us, you have full permission to do so. We're not holding anything back. Holy Spirit, I pray that you monitor my reactions. Oh, Holy Spirit, take control of my reactions. I've acted too much like a fool. But God, help me to be like the prudent. Lord, help me to love. Lord, let my communication be beneficial, Lord God. Lord, let my, 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 my source of fulfillment be found in You that I don't have to say a lot of words to be fulfilled, but God, I can be somebody who can listen and meet needs. Lord, help me to love my wife wonderfully. Lord, to do what she likes to do, to take the time. Lord God, my children, Lord, I thank You, God. Lord, thank You for Your goodness, God. Lord, for those who have harmed me and those who have done wrong, Lord, I forgive. I forgive. Lord, one by one, I lay them at Your feet and I say I have no right to hold anything against them. But God, I turn my cheek, I turn everything, God, I lay it all down and whatever you ask of me to do, I will do. Because the weight of your love is so much greater than the pain and the frustration of being broken. And God, give me a burning desire to love the lost the way that you do. To really love, Lord, what you love. To go and be obedient, God. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 